Hey, if you have your Bible, you can open it up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at one of the verses that we looked at last week, but we're going to see it in greater context. So we're in a series entitled The Bible, as relevant today as the day that it was written. And what we're doing in this series is talking about, of course, the Bible and its relevance. And last week, I tried to prove the point that it is as culturally and personally relevant today as it was when it was completed about 2,000 years ago, and that there is stuff in it today, all of it, for us here in our culture and in our lives, that the Bible is still the book that knows humanity best. Nothing has been written since that understands you and I and how to live better. And so uh, that was the, the point of last week to kind of present that idea and then also to compel you to read it more. And so I gave you five reasons on why you should read your Bible more. And hopefully this week was an improvement over previous weeks. Uh, if not, I'm going to try again today and hope to compel you to open this up and to let God change you through it, to delete the app. Many of you have come up to me, you've told me which apps you've deleted. And so I know Facebook and Twitter stock just tanked this last weekend as you guys were deleting your apps and uh, moving forward. And uh, we're, um, I am excited about what we get to talk about today. We're going to look in at a letter written by Paul to a young pastor named Timothy. And in the letter, Paul was explaining to Timothy how his life was built on the scriptures and how he hoped that Timothy too would build his life on the scriptures. And I hope that you and I will do the same. And so we're going to look at Paul's advice to Timothy this morning through the context of three questions. Number one, what does a life built on Scripture produce? Number one, what does a life built on Scripture produce? Number two, how do we build that? And then number three, why is it important? And so we'll see that in the text this morning. Second Timothy chapter 3, we'll start in verse 10. You, however have followed my teaching. The however there is in contrast to what Timothy has just been doing, which has been pointing out false teachers and heresy that has crept into the early church. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, and my my steadfastness. In the NLT, it says it a little bit easier. It says, you know my teaching, or how I live, sorry, you know what I do, and you know what my purpose is. He lines these three things up, and it's belief leading to action, which results in his purpose. What Paul is saying to Timothy here, the first thing a life built on Scripture does or produces is a life of integrity, a life of integrity, where what you believe dictates what you do, and it ultimately aligns with your purpose, your imperfect alignments. And Paul's saying, Timothy, you, you've watched me live. You've watched what I've said, and you see how those two things are aligned. The first pause we need to take this morning is to stop and ask ourselves the question, first, do we, have we submitted, like I talked about last week, to the authority of Scripture? The authority of Scripture is, is when uh, God, through his Scriptures, has the, the final right or the ultimate authority of what is right and wrong and of what is true and then how we will live our lives Submitting to the authority of Scripture is saying, this, not me, this, not the world, gets to dictate what is true and right. And so we believe this first, but then 
Paul is saying the belief informs what we do. It progresses thought, action. That's integrity when those two things are aligned. So the first question this morning is, does that describe you? What you claim to believe, the scriptures, all of it, does it align with what you do, how you act? And this is true in every area of our lives. I could list through the categories, sexuality and, uh, and, and, and how we speak and parenting and uh, how we treat people who are different than us and, and everything else. Is what I believe, does it inform what I do? That's integrity. And then uh, as uh, Paul takes it a step further, he says, uh, what I believe informs what I do, and then that reflects my purpose. Because it's actually possible to believe and to do, but for your purpose or your motivation underneath to kind of go off track. Where you're, you're, you're believing the right things and you're doing the right things, but you have a, an ulterior motive, whether that is to like trick God into, uh, into loving you or into giving you what you want, or, uh, or sometimes we obey, uh, and not out of a, a love towards God, but we obey because we think if I don't, then God's gonna do this. And, uh, and so we can even have like a false motive. Uh, but Paul says true integrity is when your actions are aligned with your belief, and it's all in perfect alignment with your purpose. And Paul tells us our purpose. Acts 20, 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if I may only finish the course of the ministry that I have received to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is telling us that our our beliefs and our actions, how you know uh, that they're properly aligned in Scripture, is because it leads to a life that says, my main aim is the advancement of the gospel out there and in here. That's how we check it. And so if if we get to the other side here and and our main aim is something different, if our main purpose in life is something different, then at somewhere we took a wrong turn. See, our main aim is to be connected with what we believe and we do. So you can check it at either end. You, You can check over here and like, am I still believing what the scriptures say? You can check it in here. Like, am I still doing what the scriptures say? You can check it over here. Is my main purpose the advancement of the gospel? Is it what makes me tick most? The advancement of the gospel out there and the advancement of the gospel in here. And if the line is jagged, then there's repentance and, 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 and correction that can come then. And that'll happen through here and I'll talk about that in a moment. But, but Paul says that's it. It's, it's a straight line of integrity from belief to action to purpose. That's what it produces, a life built on the scriptures. First, integrity. Second thing that it produces is this. Paul says in verse 11, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. And Paul actually could have kept listing. He could have kept going, and at this place, and at that place, and the one time, and then this happened. And what he's showing here is uh, that Paul has lived a, a pretty heavily persecuted life as a result of his faith in Christ. It, it hurt. It wasn't easy. In fact, he goes on to say, anyone who believes in God, anyone who walks out this faith life, will be persecuted. You will be. The second thing that a life built on the scriptures produces is toughness, a spiritual toughness, the type of spiritual toughness that says, I don't care what happened. I don't care how much it hurt. 
I don't care what the enemy took. I'm not going anywhere. My belief, my faith, my hope is in Christ. How hard it gets, it doesn't matter. I have one thing I'm building and banking my life on, and it's his word. And you've seen this. The people I respect the most are the ones who you've watched them walk through their list. It uh, it wasn't uh, Lystra and whatever the other ones are, Kinium and Antioch. There were other things. Tragedy, abandonment, bankrupt, fill in the blank. And, and, and you saw how when, when life uh, hit them and life happened to them and, and it was one after another uh, and, and where you would expect them to run after sin or to abandon their faith, they just stood up and said, I love him and I got nowhere else to go. And it builds a spiritual toughness and that only comes from months, not even months, years decades of just building our life on this. And then when life comes at us, we say, I got got nowhere else to go. Have you ever had the great displeasure of watching European soccer? Anytime anyone gets within a foot of somebody else, what happens? They fall on the ground, they throw their hands up, they grab their ankle even though they hit them in the head. They whine. And then if they get what they want, what do they do? <laughs> they pop up and they keep playing. Sometimes it's easy as Christians where as soon as something gets close to discomfort, to throw our hands up and go, God, why? And then if we get what we want, we go, okay, God, I'm back in. Contrast this with a hockey player, right? They get hit in the head, a tooth comes out, <laughs> and they just keep on skating. We don't need a church full of European soccer players, man. Be holy, play hockey. <laughs> Some toughness. Listen, the song said it best in the, in the weeping. I'm not trying to make light of difficulty. I know how much it hurts. But the tears are better falling on open scripture and letting God speak to you there than they are wherever else you could waste them. So get some toughness. Build it in here. And so it builds integrity. It builds toughness. And the next thing it builds is this in verse 13. It says, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, By the way, if you didn't know it, yeah, there are evil people. Well, evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The NLT says it a little bit more clearly. It says, while the bad ones will go on flourishing. And what it's saying here is uh, there are going to be moments when you're, when you're reading the scriptures and you're, and, you're, and you're doing the best you can to be obedient to God. And yeah, I know you slip up a little bit, but when you do, he, his love, it kind of pulls you back in and, and then you get back in the proper alignment and, and you're working as hard as you can and you're trying as hard as you can and you look out and you go, God, why are you blessing him? Why are you blessing her? 
What about them? See, the third thing a life on the scriptures does is it gives you a perspective of properly prospering. That's a lot of Ps. A perspective of properly prospering. And what it does, a life built on the scriptures, like it says in Psalm 1, is uh, it reminds you that in every season, the Christian can bear fruit. That that is properly prospering. Paul explains this to us in Philippians chapter 1 and 2. And what's going on here is he's been thrown into prison, and no one would assume that being thrown into prison and your ministry being stopped on the outside and you can't get to where you want to get to would be a bad thing, but not Paul. He goes, man, I've been thrown into prison, and the gospel's going out, and the gospel's changing me. He's prospering. Most of us can't think of a worse like human experience than to have to like to, to be imprisoned, to be stripped of our freedom, to be stripped of being around the ones we love, all of that kind of stuff. And, and there, even in there, Paul can go, and I'm still prospering. I'm prospering because my perspective, his perspective on prospering was the gospel changing him and the gospel going out. And if that's what's happening, that's prosperity. And a life built on the scriptures a life built on the scriptures can see that perspective. We actually have a lady in our church. She has a podcast. It's called Always or Prosper Always. And her doctrine is absolutely correct because what prosper always doesn't mean is no matter what, you can get to that great big whatever. Well, what prosper always means is no matter what, the gospel can change you. No matter what, the gospel can go out. And only a life built on the scriptures can get us to that perspective. So there you have it. Three things that a life built on the scriptures does. It it creates integrity. It creates toughness, a spiritual grit. And it gives you a proper perspective on prospering. So how do we go about doing this? Well, fortunately for us, Paul teaches us. In verse 14, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul teaches us here, uh, and as he's teaching Timothy, on how we go about then establishing this foundation. And the first part of it is this, just keep believing what you were already taught. Not everyone, I'm sure, but many of us in here grew up going to Sunday school. We had flannel boards, and, or we had veggie tails, or we had whatever. And, and we learned these truths. And as I got done with my sermon last weekend, and as I was talking to Lindsay about it later, I said, what's interesting is all I did is just kind of proclaim that I still believe the things I was taught in Sunday school 25 years ago. And somehow that's slightly more controversial now than it was 25 years ago. But the only truth is, I just still believe it. I just just still believe what, when I was six and my parents brought us to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and, and, and every other night, that all that stuff is still true. In fact, a lot of what we debate, if we just said, well, what did I learn in Sunday school? Well, it's still true. He's saying, just hold firm to what you were taught when you were younger. Paul says, you were acquainted with the sacred writings. I love the language of that. And what he's referring to is the Old Testament. 
And he's saying, Timothy, you were well trained up by his mother and his grandmother. Who knows where his dad was? He said, you were well trained by them. By the way, dads, don't be Timothy's dad. <laughs> don't know where he was at. Don't know why mom and grandma had to teach him. Let's do our job. He said, you've been so well trained up in this. You've been so well trained up in it. And so just hold on to it. And so this is like a little caveat of my point, but one of the things that, that this should do for us as individuals and as a church is, is to remind us of the importance of training up our kids in the scriptures. That they too, they too need to, by the time they get to 25 or 34, that, that they can look back and say, man, the things that I was taught conversation Lindsay and I have frequently is we are in part a product, not a part, in large part, a product of, of the, uh, not just the upbringings that we had, but the church upbringing that we had. And that uh, maybe it was Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday evening and Bible quiz and all of those other things that actually helped keep us. And maybe like 15 minutes on Sunday with the video, like, isn't enough. to keep kids rooted in the Bible long-term. That like, like stakes are high when it comes to our kids. And, and, and that getting them acquainted with the sacred writings of scripture is massively important. And so for us as a church, that means everything we do is we begin to strategize about what does kids ministry look like here? What does youth look like here? And I'm so proud of all of our teams in all of these areas, but, but what does this look like? Because the measure of my ministry will not be what does a kid look like right now, but what does he look like in 20 years? And listen, we're going to do everything we can as a church, but ultimately, parents, this is on you. The ultimate responsibility is yours. We're here to help. It's our job. This is on, it is on you first and foremost, right? And, and so how do we partner together in making sure that our kids are acquainted with the, with the sacred writings? I've shared this before. I do a little catechism with, with Reagan every night. And um, it's, uh, we get to the first question and the first question or the first statement is, there is one God. And Reagan's supposed to respond with, there is one God. And the Bible is God's word. The Bible is God's word, but sin leads to death. Actually, death, <laughs> but sin leads to death. But Jesus saved me when he died on the cross and rose from the grave. He lives in me, and I live for him, right? And that's the, that's the little catechism. I don't know where she learned this, the little heretic, but now when I say there is one God, she goes, there is two gods. I'm like, no, there isn't, Satan. <laughs> get out of here. And, you know, someday she'll get a new heart, and we'll be okay, so... Praying for that. You can use our catechism, parents, if you want, or you can order the New City Catechism online, or grandparents, you can do that. But this is, this is our job, to make sure that they're acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, that was the first thing. The second thing that Paul uh, is saying here, he says, continue to learn. So all he's saying is, you just got to keep on learning. Like, you're not done learning 
You didn't get there just because you passed Sunday school or whatever system you had back then. Like, you got to keep on learning. I mean, get this. Paul is telling Timothy, who's the pastor of the church at Ephesus, which people think numbered in the tens of thousands, like this massive church. He's like, you better keep learning. You better keep learning. You better keep going. You better keep opening up the scriptures. You better keep letting the Holy Spirit speak to you. And so, friend, we got to keep learning. And so whether it's here on, uh, on Sunday mornings or it's in your car uh, listening to a podcast, right? And one of the things he talks about in here is, and you know who you learned it from. So in other words, he's saying, like, you better be learning from the right people. Some of y'all got some um, podcasts you probably just need to delete. I, I don't think it's my job to say names on stage, so I'm not going to. you might have some podcasts you need to delete because we need to listen to the right voices and the right doctrine, okay? Uh, some of my favorites, um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's dead. Tim Keller, he's alive. Alistair Begg, he's alive. Um, if you want someone who's got a little bit more energy than those three, uh, another modern preacher I like is a guy by the name of Matt Chandler. And so these are people who just, they have good doctrine. And we want to listen to the right things, we want to fill our hearts with, with proper truth, with scripture. And so we got to just keep on learning. That's why we do a daily dig. It's a morning devotional. You can get delivered to your inbox or midweek or life group or you on your own or uh, Bible studies that you get involved in outside. I don't care. Everything we do is just strategy to help you get into this. Why? So that you might have a life of integrity. So that you might have a spiritual toughness, Right? You might know how to properly prosper. And so that's what Paul is teaching in here. He's saying, this is how it happens. You hold on to what you have believed. You get more and more acquainted with the sacred writings. You do it from childhood. Now, some of you, you're like, well, I'm a little past childhood. Well, just get started now. Be today who you want to be tomorrow. If tomorrow you is somebody who reads the Bible, then today you has to read the Bible. Tomorrow you will never read the Bible until today you does. So be today who you want to be tomorrow. Third, why is this important? All scripture, I'm in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, a lot going on here. All scripture. So first off, what Paul is doing here is he's affirming the entirety of the Bible. And so when he says all scripture, what he's alluding to is the Old Testament uh, and maybe some of the early writings based on when this was written. And then there's some other stuff later in the scriptures when Paul and Peter are affirming the letters that have been written. And so what we're seeing here in the scripture is it's building up a defense around itself that the Bible as we have it is the one that God wanted us to have. And so all of Scripture is inspired by God, every word of it. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable or useful. It's useful. All of Scripture is useful. Now, I want to take a second uh, and explain something. Uh, all of Scripture is useful, but hear me out here before you throw something at me. It doesn't mean that all of Scripture is equally as prevalent, maybe I should use the word relevant, in the current environment. Let me, let me give you an example. 
If I was afraid to preach on racism in the 1850s, what would that make me? A coward. A coward. Right? If I preached on gender in the 1850s, what would that make me? Very out of touch. It was still true. The biblical standard was still true, but if I would have just preached every sermon in the 1850s on male and female, God did this, God did that, everyone in the crowd would have just been like, why are we talking about this? We get it. And avoiding the obvious. Here's why I'm saying this. As a pastor, I believe my job is to preach truth that is most currently being attacked by culture. To to look and to say, how is Satan destroying people's lives right now? My job is not to preach tactics. It's not that every once in a while we don't have to get tactical and say, okay, maybe we could do this and it would be a little bit different and and all of that. But for the most part, we can have a common truth and we can have different tactics. You know what that's called? Politics. Where we say, we both agree on this and this is a tactical outlet of it and this is a tactical outlet of it. And some of us align more on this tactical side and others of us align more on this tactical side. Let's get a coffee. I was a poli-sci major. It'll be fine. But if we already agree on the common truth, then at least that's a good starting point. But if we disagree on the common truth, well, that's a bigger discussion. It's a bigger conversation. Now, as a pastor, I have, to, I have to get up and I say, well, well, it seems like if I ask this question, every hand would say, yep, that's wrong. But if I ask this question, then people will go, well, I don't know anymore. Okay. Well, then more time's got to be spent on the, huh? Then the, yeah. This is the point of, this is the point of preaching. And then what what happens, what the scripture is supposed to do, and by the way, it is what the scripture is supposed to do, what the scripture does, not the person, what the scripture does, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training, that the Bible has four tactics, four ends that it can utilize. And and what the scripture does is first it just teaches. And so we just, we let the scripture teach itself. And, and, and what that word teaching there is, is doing is it's mostly talking about just the proclamation of the gospel. And early on the disciples, what they had to do is most argue about who Jesus was, because that was the biggest confusion. And people are trying to reject Jesus. And they're saying, no, Jesus didn't actually die, or Jesus wasn't really God, or Jesus was this, or Jesus was that. That's why like four books in the New Testament were written to just say, no, no, this is who Jesus is. And teaching is really just the general proclamation of the truth of scripture, of who Jesus is and how we arrive at salvation. And scripture points to who Jesus is. And so we teach it. The second thing he says is reproof. The KJV version is a little stronger, the rebuke. What's the rebuke? The rebuke is, is, is when the scripture stands up and goes, nope. 
Nope. No, that's, that's not right. And who's supposed to do this? The scriptures are supposed to do this. The scriptures then are supposed to stand up and say, yeah, that's, that's wrong. That isn't right. That doesn't lead to life. That leads to death. That doesn't lead to the, the joy and the happiness you think it's going to. That's going to lead to despair. There's a better way and there's a better plan. And the rebuke is, uh, I think the rebuke gets stronger, uh, when it's, when it's, when it's from somebody who, uh, was, was, uh, like, like, there's a one teacher I have in mind and she was one of my favorite teachers growing up. And now 20 years later is nothing short of a heretic. Like most Christian bookstores pulled off his videos, right? And I think like, like what scripture wants to do is just like, boom, let's get back in line. But scripture's supposed to do it, right? The rebuke is, is it's, it's God's strong, loving way. It's like, that does not lead to life. Doesn't lead to life. The next is the correction part. What's the correction part? The correction, I think, is a little bit softer. The, the correction is, uh, it's when I think, uh, when a Christian, um, whether out of being ignorant or uh, maybe just confused, um, they're on the path and they just kind of start straying. And I used to have somebody in a, in a life group I led a long, long time ago. They would say something in life group and then everyone would kind of look at each other and go, not exactly. <laughs> That's not exactly how it works, right? And then it would just be like, let me, let's go back to the scriptures. Let's read that. And what was that? It was like a correction. Okay, you ever go to the chiropractor? There's like two kinds of chiropractors, right? The ones who, who like, you're twisted and they just go, Poof! and you're like, I needed that. And everybody heard it, right? And then there's other chiropractors and they're like, and you're like, 40 bucks? Really? The rebuke is like, Pah! the correction is like, it's like God's like, oh, come on, just follow me. Both are necessary. Why? Because if we don't follow correction, you know what happens? We keep getting out, <laughs> and then the correction has to turn into rebuke to get us back in line. Because the whole point is what? Alignment. The whole point is alignment. Where my beliefs and my actions and my purpose are all aligned. The last one is training. Paul calls it training in righteousness. Now, with training, you might hear the horrible, like, corporate training you have to do via Zoom, all right? And you're like, that sounds horrible, right? Or if you're training, maybe you think of like, okay, no, I was training for a marathon once or I was training for something I wanted to do or I really love my job and so getting better at it is awesome. Let's, let's hear that one instead of the former, right? The, the, the idea that when we go into the scriptures, and I hope that this is what every Sunday is, uh, that when we open up the Bible and when we begin to read it, that what God is doing in that moment is he is like training you up. He's getting you ready for something. I used to, I've coached a lot of sports in, in, in my years. And one of the things I would always tell my teams is this. We don't practice. We don't practice. We train for the championship day. That's what we do. 
And so every time you talk, every time you step onto the court or the field or the track, what you're doing in that moment is you are training for the championship day because that day is going to come and I need you to be ready. I need you to catch the pass. I need you to run the sprint. I need you to hop over the thing. And if you don't train for it, you're not going to be ready for it. And what this training is, the very next verse tells us is God is saying, I want to equip you for every good work. Everyone. And the only way you're going to be equipped and ready to go for that is if you're properly trained. And the way you get trained for that is through this. I brought this Bible up. Uh, my, I, I remember being six years old. We were living with my grandparents for a short season. And I remember when the, my grandpa got this Bible, he placed it on his table in the basement, and I would go down there, and I would just begin to flip through it. And it was the first time I remember my heart being like, what is this book? And thinking like, I wonder if I could memorize all of it. Didn't do that. Maybe I could read all of it. <laughs> I have done that. And the first day I planted a church, my grandpa came up to me, and he gave me this book, this Bible. He said, I want you to have this. I, I remember you always looking at it when you were a kid. And I think over the last, well, I guess that'd be 28 years from when I first saw this Bible. And over the last 28 years, is, is there anything that life has thrown at me? I can almost remember seasons of life based upon the Bible I was most interested in or using at the time. I've got this old NIV Bible. I could have brought that one in, but the pages are all ripped out. That Bible was like 19 to 25. Think about that season of life. A lot of crazy times through that one. I've got another Bible, and it was a message Bible. I've referenced it before. It's covered in duct tape. <laughs> The Bible was freshman year of college. That one's, well, it saw the shelf a lot, actually. But then it saw one really important, life-changing moment. This Bible, this one's been with me for five years now. I think I've preached out of it every Sunday um, for the last four and a half years or so. Somebody gave it to me, and they said, you're going to go into a new season. Why don't you take a new Bible? That's meant something. God wants to train you up in every season. And this is how he does it. So let me just say what I said last week one more time. Read your Bible. Read it. Believe it. And let God equip you for every good work. Every good work. Loving your spouse, that's good. Loving your kids, that's good. Hanging in there when it gets tough, that's good. Standing up for the downtrodden, that's good. Being crazy generous, that's good. Holding your tongue, that's good. Sharing your story, that's good. 
speaking a word of encouragement, that is good. Telling somebody when they've fallen to get back up, that's good. Hanging in there when life is falling apart and it would be so much easier to abandon faith or to turn to sin, but just saying, God, I'm not going anywhere. That's good. That's good. And this is how you get here. Just keep on reading it. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.